All right, we, uh, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and we're getting to that part that is what they make all the books about and all the movies about, and everybody likes to talk about the real exciting parts, the two witnesses, the uh, Antichrist, the 666. So for the next several weeks, we're going to be into some of this really good stuff. But it's kind of weird saying this really good stuff. Because even though it would make a great movie, it's not going to be great when it actually happens. It's not action-adventure, it's horror. And things that descend upon this planet are just going to be beyond description. So bad that people are just going to drop dead of fright. They'll have heart attacks and just die. Things will be so horrible. So on the one hand, it's exciting because we know God's going to wrap up his program on Earth and his kingdom is going to come. That's great news. But that seven-year process is not going to be fun. It, it's going to be a horrible time for everybody living on the planet. So, giving you that as an intro, let's start into Revelation chapter 11. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and don't measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. It's pretty cool. You know the future. I know the future. The temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt. You can bank on it. In fact, that might be fun. Find a, a really strong atheist and just put some money down on it. Of course, you won't be here to collect, so... <laughs> temple will be rebuilt, and for three and a half years, its outer precincts and all of Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot by Gentiles. The implication is that Israel is going to lose its sovereignty over the Temple Mount area and over its own capital city. Israel's doing great. They win every war, but that won't always be the case. It's sad to say we see it coming. Then verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. All right. So we see that the temple is going to be given the, the outer precincts to the Gentiles, it says, for 42 months. And then it says these witnesses are going to prophesy for 1,260 days, which is also 42 months. Three different ways to say it. Days, months, years. This concept of three and a half years occurs over and over and over again. It starts in Daniel, and then it's laid out constantly in the book of Revelation. And in the next couple of weeks, I'll explain this a little more for you, but now I'm just going to point it out to you. So he says he's going to give power to two witnesses for three and a half years, and they will testify in his name. So for two, uh, three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to have amazing, miraculous abilities. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So these are going to be miracle-working prophets. 
I've been a believer since uh, 1984. It's a long time. And people ask me, Steve, do you still believe there's prophets today? And usually the way they word it, they've got two things in mind. One, all these guys out there who claim to be prophets, do I think any of them are true? And secondly, do I think the Bible allows for prophets today? And my answer to them is no and yes. I've met a lot of people who have claimed to be prophets. And I've heard of a lot of people who have claimed to be prophets. And everyone I've checked into has been a liar. But that doesn't mean there can't be one. I just have not seen one. And there's a lot of deceivers out there. But then why do you say there can be? Well, the book of Revelation mentions two more coming. So there can't be... Some people say, oh, the Bible says there can't be any more prophets. Well, I'm reading from the Bible, and apparently there will be. So in my mind, there's always the potential for God to send a prophet. But there's also what Jesus said, deceivers out there who claim to be something that are not. And there's a lot more of those than the other. So these are going to be the real deal. And you will know they're the real deal by the miracles that they do. There are four kinds of miracles that are mentioned and the first one is, it says, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. The second one, they shut heaven so that no rain falls. They can stop the rain. Thirdly, they have power over water to turn it to blood. And fourthly, they can strike the earth with all manner of plagues. So that fourth one has a whole bunch tied to it. The others are just, they can do this, they can do this, they can do this. And the fourth one is, and they can do a lot more. So I'm thinking Moses, I'm thinking Elijah. They're going to be like Old Testament prophets doing all sorts of things for everybody to see. How many of you have ever wondered, or maybe people have asked you, challenging your faith, if God's real, how come we don't see miracles? Oh yeah, it says in the Bible, but how do we know that happened? It was thousands of years ago. Somebody could have made it up. If God's really real, why does he show me miracles today and I believe in him? You would? Like the Egyptians did? Like the people who won't be listening to these guys? People don't choose to follow God because they see miracles. Some do, some don't. But for the most part, miracles aren't the thing that seals the deal. Because with God, it's not just like acknowledging he's, he exists. With God, it's loving him and choosing to obey him. And seeing a miracle doesn't make you love anybody. And doesn't make you want to obey anybody. So there's more to finding out about God. You can fall in love with God and follow him and never see a miracle. Or you can see all the miracles of Moses and Elijah combined and Jesus and never follow him. We've seen that in the scripture. Nevertheless, these guys are going to do amazing miracles just like Moses and Elijah. In fact, it has led a lot of people to think that this will actually be Moses and Elijah. Some people think that Moses and Elijah are coming back. There's nothing in the text that says they are. But their reason for believing that, it's not like stupid. They, it makes good sense. It's possible, but it's not necessary. What do you mean, Steve? Well, fire coming down from heaven. Elijah did that. Do you, do you remember the story? He was on the run, and the king, Ahab, sent a bunch of soldiers to arrest him and drag him before him for justice. Justice for an abortion of justice. The soldiers come to arrest him, and he says something, I forget, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm a prophet of God, may fire come down and dest destroy you. So fire comes down and destroys all the soldiers except one, and he runs back to Ahab and says, oh. and Ahab says, 
take 50 more guys and go get them. Same thing happened like two or three times. Finally, the last batch of guys, the head soldier just falls down before him and says, please don't kill me. I'm just obeying orders. I don't want to be here any more than you want me here. Please don't kill me. And Elijah said, okay, and he went with the guy. But he called fire down from heaven. And it says, this prophet will have fire come out of his mouth. I'm thinking that's poetic for the same concept. It's just a way of describing that he can kill people by calling fire down from heaven. Oh, and it says these prophets can stop the rain. Elijah also stopped the rain. He stopped the rain for how long? Three and a half years. How long are these guys going to do their ministry? Three and a half years. So that people will think this is Elijah. It makes sense. On top of that, Malachi says that before Jesus returns, Elijah will come. And when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said, John comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, but I tell you, Elijah will come. So Elijah is supposed to come back. So it, it makes sense that one of these guys can very likely be Elijah. Now you add to that, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus revealed himself in all his glory to his disciples, two men were up there with him. Guess who? Moses and Elijah. And the other two miracles, turning water to blood and all striking the earth with all plagues, that's Moses. So that people think this is Moses and Elijah, it makes sense. But just because it makes sense doesn't make it so. And I want to make sure that we don't fall into that unhealthy biblical trap of assuming something that makes sense must be so. These could just be two guys we've never heard of before that God raises up just as well. So, fire proceeds, rain, blood, plagues, dark days. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street. All right. These two guys, who all the believers on the planet will probably know about, because if our technology still works in those days, it'll probably be broadcast all over the internet. It'll be everybody's top story on Facebook and YouTube. These miracles call, calling down the fire, the rain, and everybody's going to be talking about these guys. And then the Antichrist is going to come and kill them. At first, everybody was scared of them, because they could call fire down. They, could, they were the power. And now the Antichrist, he wins. So what's everybody going to think? The Antichrist is the true power. He's the real deal because he overcame these guys. It's going to look really good for the followers of the Antichrist for three and a half days. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. It's going to be three and a half days of nonstop partying with dead bodies on the street. It's let's kill a prophet day. Send presents to one another. Get presents, send chocolates, have a party, dance around dead bodies in the street. Ew, 
just to show you how sick these people are. They won't allow them to be buried. They're just going to leave their corpses on the ground and party around them. These people are bent. They are twisted. And after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell on all who saw them. <laughs> Who's God now? Okay, so all the believers on the planet are going to have access to the book of Revelation. They're going to know in three and a half years these guys are going to be killed. And in three and a half days, they'll be resurrected. If I was there, and I don't anticipate being there, but this is what I'd be doing. And then when they raise, yeah, the victory. That'd be me. But what about all the people who are dancing and eating chocolate? Oh, no. Maybe the Antichrist isn't. But you can't erase the 666. That's for another week. Something I discovered about these two prophets. Oh, by the way, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. All right, about these two prophets. They did miracles. They were rejected by the masses. They were killed by their enemies. They rose on the third day. Guess who's in column number two? Jesus did miracles. He was rejected by the masses. He was killed by his enemies. And he rose on the third day. They're just following in their master's footsteps. And I'm sure they're happy to do so. I'm sure they're not saying, oh, just another couple days we'll be killed. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be killed. They'll be like, bring it on. These guys, I, I have no doubt they're going to be tough. They're going to be manly men. You know, you've got to be a manly man to stand up against the whole world and be calm, fire down on them and preaching the gospel to them. I can't wait to meet these guys. But they're martyred. In fact, most prophets are. If you look through history, look through the Bible, you will see that most prophets end up being martyred. It's interesting, though. Why? They can call fire down from heaven to devour their enemies. All the prophets did great miracles and had God on their side. Why? And when? I can definitely answer the when question, but I can't answer the why question. The when question is, as soon as God is done with them. When their ministry is completed, then they're martyred. But before their ministry is completed, they're untouchable. This, this happened with Jesus, too, if you remember. They wanted to stone him on multiple occasions. They said he just walked through, and it was like they couldn't find him. He disappeared. They couldn't touch him. They kept scheming to kill him, and they kept failing until his ministry was done. And then God allowed him to be executed. These guys, they call fire down from heaven. They strike the earth with plagues until their ministry is done. They are protected, and they're like Superman until their ministry is done. It's the same for you and me. We are protected and we are safe until our ministry is done. By protected, I don't mean you won't suffer. I don't mean you won't get sick. I mean you will not be killed and you will not die until your ministry is done. And I suppose that's the way it should be. I don't know about you, 
I don't want to be here a minute longer than I'm needed. Why? Because heaven's going to be awesome. There's not going to be any crying there, any broken hearts there. There's no cancer there. There's no hunger there. There's no sadness or sorrow there. I know sadness and sorrow. I don't like it. I know pain. I don't like it. I want to get away from it. I want to see Jesus and be happy forever. I'm ready. But if I'm needed here, I'll stay. In fact, I prefer to stay as long as I can bear some fruit. And so my prayer to God is, Lord, let me bear fruit. And since I'm here suffering with you guys, not because of you guys, <laughs> usually, <laughs> I want to bear a lot of fruit. If I'm here and I got a job to do, I want to do it well. I would hate to spend 50, 70, 80, 90 years on this planet and go to heaven with, well, here's my fruit, God. Hope it's enough. No, I want a truckload. You know, I want to take advantage of the time, redeem the times because the days are evil. Well, when death comes, for many, it's a release. Revelation says this. I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Death will someday be defeated. But until then, it's a release for God followers. It's a time of entering into our rest and ceasing from our labors. Edwin Arlington Robinson wrote a poem called A Happy Man about a guy dying. He titled it A Happy Man about a guy dying. Let me read it to you. When these graven lines you see, traveler, do not pity me. Though I be among the dead, let no mournful word be said. Children that I leave behind and their children all were kind. Near to them and to my wife, I was happy all my life. My three sons I married right, and their sons I rocked at night. Death nor sorrow never brought cause for one unhappy thought. Now, and with no need of tears, here they leave me full of years. Leave me to my quiet rest in the region of the blessed. When you've lived a good life, you don't need to fear death. You can look forward to it. And I have seen Christians do so. It's a beautiful thing. To see people who know their days from death and they're happy. They can't wait to go. They know they're going to see Jesus any day now. They've been waiting for years. I had a conversation with a rabbi not too long ago. And I shared with him some of what I was sharing with you. And he was just, I don't want to say amazed, but whatever word's close to that, that somebody could not be afraid of death, look forward to death, but not dislike life either. He knew I wasn't like depressed or suicidal. I'm not like anxious to die. I'm just, I know it's going to be good when I get there and I'm looking forward to it. But in the meantime, I've got a life, I've got a family, I've got things to do. I'm going to do them and enjoy it the best I can. And I guess he's never seen that balance before. Because in, in Judaism, there's not that same anticipation for heaven that we have. It's quite different. And there's not the promise of heaven like we have in, in Jesus. And so our perspective is quite different. So talking and studying and thinking about life and death brought some passages of scripture to my mind. Moses wrote this. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Knowing that our life will someday end is a healthy thing 
because then we will live our life with purpose. Some people just think that day is never going to happen and never worry about it happening, and they never worry about accountability, and they never worry about fruit. You know, they just get all they can, and then they keep the can. But that's not for us. We should apply our hearts to wisdom, serve God best we can while we're here. The contemporary English version puts it this way, teach us to use wisely all the time we have. And that ties beautifully with Ephesians. These are evil times, so make every minute count. You know what? God has you here for a reason. I don't mean Sunday morning at Book of Life. I mean in Tucson, in the year 2015. Why are you here in 2015 instead of 1915? Why are you here at what might be the very end of human existence? God wanted you here now. And I think it's for two reasons. First reason, this is the time you needed to have your best shot at finding him. And most of you in here have found him. Second reason, this is the time in all of human history, this is the time where you can bear the most fruit. If you were born 100 years ago, it wouldn't have worked for you. The circumstances, the place, the relationships wouldn't have worked for you. That's why you're born here. That's why you're born now. So seize it. Seize it. Live it. Grab it. Pursue God with a passion. As Moses also said, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Perhaps the most quoted verse about seizing time is from Galatians 6. It says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The Bible is a book of faith, but it's an instruction manual on what to do. If you just take it as a book on what to believe, you've missed it. It's a book on what to believe, and it's a book on what to do. And we have to marry both of those together if we want to bear fruit for the kingdom. So these two men, these two witnesses, these two prophets, will serve God faithfully, powerfully, and then when their ministry is done, they will die bravely as martyrs. I was thinking, man, if, if, if I had to write their headstone, what would I put on it? No regrets. Maybe those two words, maybe a little more. Maybe child of God, Jesus is king, no regrets, see you on the other side. Have you ever wondered about your tombstone? Here's what I want on my tombstone. Psych, not here, caught the rapture. <laughs> That's what I want on my tombstone. And maybe, um, I don't know, Pastor Michael's phone number. What do you want on your gravestone? Do you want to do something funny? Sometimes I want to do something funny on mine. Sometimes I want to do something very serious. So I went online and I researched famous gravestones. These are supposedly true, real-to-life gravestones. They had pictures of them and everything. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Here lies Ezekiel Akel, age 102. Only the good die young. Here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. <laughs> Could you imagine walking through these cemeteries? 
People are crying, they're laying down fly, flowers, and then somebody three rows over just starts busting up. <laughs> what could you possibly be laughing at? Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> That's what you're laughing at. <laughs> Sir John Strange, here lies an honest lawyer, and that is strange. <laughs> Have you been to Boot Hill over in Tombstone? They got some funny ones. Here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44, no less, no more. <laughs> you know, as a, a self-defense aficionado and a fire gun fan, firearms fan, I'm thinking, it took four slugs from a 44 to put that guy down? He must have been one tough dude. Or they shot him three more times when they didn't have to. I don't know which. <laughs> Here lies the body of our Anna, done to death by a banana. It wasn't the fruit that laid her low, but the skin of the thing that made her go. <laughs> and here's probably the most pathetic of them all. Oops, Harry Edsel. Harry Edsel Smith of Albany, New York, born 1903, died 1942. Looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on the way down. It was. <laughs> oh. oh, man, these people had some really funny family members. One of them is probably my favorite because it's funny, but it also has a message. And I like that. I like humor, and I like humor that means something. Under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He is not here. There's only the pod. Peas shelled out and went to God. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Great theology and that little limerick. So, what do you want on your gravestone? I also looked up some serious ones. Let me read to you some of my favorites. Oh, that was mine. Here's one of my favorites. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. It's short, it's sweet, it makes a point. Or this one, forever with the Lord. Safe in the arms of Jesus. This one was real touching. Their love will last an eternity. Because love is one of those things in the Bible that never fails. Even beyond the grave it exists. Words of kindness, deeds of love. Now, how about this? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I want, should I die before the rapture? And I can't put the ha side, come not here. I got caught in the rapture. If I can't use that one. I do want to put something on my headstone that will make people think. That will make them want to pursue information about God. I want my witnessing to go beyond the grave. I don't know what to say yet, but for us, this is good for us now. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we know all of our days are limited. They're numbered. 
They may be long, they may be short. That we don't know. We also now know that we will live until our ministries are finished. And so I pray for myself and for those listening to me that our passion would be about bearing fruit for your kingdom, as much fruit as possible, until you take us home. And I pray that you would help us to be faithful to that, whether we're sick or healthy, and whether our loved ones are sick or healthy, that we would trust that you know best, even through the pain, that it wouldn't just be something we say, but something we truly believe, so that like the apostles, when they were beat and thrown into jail, they sang songs of praise and worship that they were worthy to suffer for your name. I don't think most of us are there just yet, God, but that's where we want to be. We want to be so trusting, so faithful, that everything on this planet we know is in accordance with your will, that all things work together for good for those that love God and those who are called according to his purpose.